Warning, this podcast features adult subject matter, adult language, and things not meant for children to hear. Viewer discretion is advised. You've been warned. Oh, oh, we might, we, I think we might. We're doing it live once again. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. Once again, we are going to do this damn thing live because that is how it is working right now. Kind of, sort of, most of the way, about half the time or better. So that's what we're rolling with here. We've got it working. I think everything's working. It looks like it's working. So we're going to roll with it here. Thank you again, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning into the latest episode of the I'm No Joe podcast the show where every armchair quarterback can feel like he's Eddie Bravo. Today, as with most days, I have got a couple of gentlemen here with me to break through the shenanigans and the shit that has happened since the last time we got to speak with you lovely folks. First and foremost, before we get into it here, let's say hello to them. And you got to start that off with the number one stunner, the up-and-comer, the young gunner. RJ, how the fuck are you, buddy? For take two. I'm doing good, man. It's good to be back. Uh... <laughs> Uh, good to be back, man. Great to have you back, buddy. Across the octagon, as it were, from him, my Wednesday night homeboy, my brother from another mother, TJ, how the fuck are you, my friend? Congratulations on two weeks in a row of getting that right, and one week of doing it twice in a row correctly. Well done, sir. Let's get this shit done. <laughs> Fuck up so nice, we're doing it twice. All right. So... As we like to do on this here particular podcast, the first thing we are going to get into is the news and recent events that have come forth, been revealed, or shaken out since the last time we got to see you lovely folks. The first one that we are going to start it off with right out the motherfucking gate is a thing that isn't necessarily so much a new piece of news as a new reveal to a piece of news here. Um, As much as he and his camp had been previously saying that 2019 is the last of his career. He has maybe one or two more fights in him, and he's going to hang them up. We found out this week that, no, 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 no. The one and only Jose Aldo, the king of Rio, has signed an eight-fight contract with the UFC in the beginning of May. So it turns out that last fight was actually the first on his new contract, and he never said a word about it. Dana said that he knew when everything was done, that he just didn't say anything because that's generally not how he goes. So Jose Aldo knew that he had an eight fight contract in line, already inked, ready to go and just sat quiet on that shit. But you know what? That's a train that I'm willing to get on because if you have seen any of the last few of his fights, basically uh, without wanting to sound salty, basically since the last time Max whipped his ass, Jose has had that fire lit back in him and he is burning hotter than a motherfucker he might be on a streak hotter than his original title run was right now and i for one will take a ticket to that train i will ride this eight fight contract out with jose and watch every bout he is in i don't know about you guys but uh this could be very very interesting very quickly oh it's gonna be interesting quickly i mean Considering he basically went on a three-fight losing streak to uh, Connor and then twice to Max, he's well back in um, peak form 
the division is on notice right now. His last couple fights, he's putting away people that everyone thought was going to put him away because they thought he was on the downslope. They were fucking wrong, and here we go again. Saying he's going to be back to being the king of Rio in no time flat with that strap around his waist here soon. People don't watch their fucking themselves. It's happening. He's looking, he's looking peak form again. I agree. I think, honestly, he looks better than he ever has, and he's at, realistically, the peak slash tail start of his career. So however the fuck it took to get him here, I'm okay with it because he's looking better now than he ever has, in my opinion here. So I'm definitely on board that train. Yes, 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 yes. Next thing I want to talk about here, um, the uh, Bellator event, I believe it was 223, where it was Aaron Chalmers versus Aaron Pico, uh, Alvin Chalmers, rather, versus Aaron Pico. Um, it was an interesting situation here. There was it, This developed on Twitter after the fight. There was a gentleman who had a bet slip and had literally covered every single fight he had picked, won every single bet, save for one. He had Chalmers winning by submission, not by knockout. So while he literally won all but just the method of winning that match on an entire bet slip, Chalmers, being the good guy that he is, sent the guy a message, I feel so bad about that. Send me your PayPal. I'll make sure you're taken care of. As a joke, the gentleman DM Chalmers' PayPal, and then shortly thereafter, posted a transaction slip showing that he had just received the $2,600. The payout from that particular bet would have been directly from Chalmers himself. That's not something that happens often, but that's one of those very polite fuck you ha ha ha's that you just kind of got to tip your hat to, in my opinion. That's not a story that happens a lot. But the fact that the gentleman won and then still had such a good sense of humor about the whole situation, he legitimately covered the gentleman's bet on his own. Good on you, sir. Good on you. I mean, you Chalmers just gained a couple of fans for that one. Damn right. Damn right. In an era where there's shit-talking being rewarded more than working, so to speak, seeing shit like this, it warms the little conkles of my black old heart sometimes. And then immediately to ruin that, the next piece of news that I do want to take a mention here is the Make America do do again himself, Colby Covington, has been announced. His next fight is inked and it's happening. Normally I would not be excited about such a travesty, but in this particular situation, I feel that we may be watching Vindication for a lot of shenanigans that have been let slide because they're throwing Colby Covington into the octagon with one Robbie Ruthless Lawler. So despite all of the shit that the funk man himself has been talking this week about him skipping the line and going right past Colby, Usman's out right now because of surgery. The interim title holder, Colby, number one contender, is now fighting Robbie Lawler, the guy that he could finished and he's about to catch a three-piece at a soda so 
that can all go fuck right off. But they're doing this August 3rd, so they're not waiting long. This is going on right now so that the winner can most likely prospectively get healed and then go back into camp to line up their fight with Usman. I think that will work out just fine indeed because there's a lot of aspects to that fight that I don't think Colby has considered based on the press that he has already started doing for this match. That's not going to work out for him, but I'm willing to sit and watch that train wreck unfold as well. And I bet a lot of other people will just the same. I'm just saying I'm excited to watch Colby get his fucking mouth smashed in. Cause you know what? He, he hasn't been knocked on what? Uh, close to a year. Gonna be a year and a half, almost two years yeah. now. Yeah. And all he does is run his mouth, show up to fucking open workouts with a little mini megaphone, get kicked the fuck out. Yep. But he's trying to keep himself relevant. He's gonna be relevant again as Real the quick. headliner of who not to fight and why not fight him when he's in fucking peak form. Look, as much as I am a fan of one said wrestler that fight Robbie Lawler was fucking winning oh whether we agree with the stoppage or not that's a whole different story but Robbie Lawler is there to murder people Colby I'm sorry you are gonna catch fucking you're gonna catch at least two piece probably more than that in fact that dude's probably gonna tuck you into bed I'm going to guarantee it ain't going to be pretty. Um, I hope they've got a really good plastic surgeon waiting for all them cuts you're about to get. When I read that they had announced this fight for sure against Robbie Lawler, I immediately, my brain went to a, a chain of events here in which Colby comes in being his normal dumbass self. Robbie comes in being his silent assassin self. Bucks Colby up. That sets up. Robbie for a shot with Usman to reclaim the belt that I personally don't feel he should have lost in the way that he did. And it also sets up another match that the entire MMA community has just been chomping at the bit for for oh so long now. Woodley versus Colby in a non-title match just for the sake of Woodley versus Colby. Now, I hate Tyquil just as much as anyone else does, and I hate Colby's dumbass just as much as anyone else does. But to put these two whining sissies in the same fucking octagon together and give them no excuse to stop all the fucking yammering, that could be a nice night. And maybe we'll get lucky and they'll boot the loser of that fight. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's so much potential for just little morsels of interest to come out of however the fuck this shakes loose. I, I like it. They're, they're starting to put a little bit more attention back on this division, ironically enough, now that Woodley's not holding the fucking belt anymore. I mean, coincidences are coincidences, but hey, okay, we'll go with that. Um, a quick little review, though, from last week that not everyone may have seen. Okay, I'm going to try this because I was able to do it a couple of times. Jairzino Rosenstreich. Now, you would think that was a big old pale Russian fella, and it's not. It's an enormous African-colored gentleman. Uh, the now 
second fastest knockout UFC record holder, fastest knockout in the heavyweight division record holder when he put a nine-second three-shot clinic on how to put someone to bed on last week. Holy shit. Find that highlight reel slash entire fight online somewhere if you haven't, folks, because the speed and terrifying strength that that man shows real fast and then the restraint that he stands up with afterwards. That's... It reminds me of early Nganu with technique instead of just the power that Nganu brought early on. That gentleman is definitely going to be someone that you're going to want to keep your eyes on. From there, a couple of fights that have been announced that I want to take a second to talk about here because some of them are nice. So September 28th has its official headline. It was announced day before yesterday. Gunny Nelson versus Tiago Alves. Now, that's got potential all over the fucking place here. That's going to be one you definitely want to keep an eye on here. The next couple of fights I want to talk about real quick aren't UFC fights. They're actually one FC fights. And that is just like on the initial transition, excuse me, They are once again setting up for DJ and Eddie to fight on the same card over in one August 2nd this time. So that will definitely be something that people are going to want to keep an eye out for because at least one of those fights are going to be interesting. And I'm not saying which, but one of them has a glass jaw and the other one's the greatest pound for pound fighter that's ever stepped on the planet. So, you know, there's that. Next fight I want to talk about real quick here. This one isn't so much a fight. It's basically the majority of the card that was announced altogether here. Uh, the card that we're talking about here is the September 14th card, the card right before the Gunny Nelson card. Uh, now, there have been three fights that have been announced that are big enough that I feel like everyone should actually start looking into now because they're all three going to be entertaining. The first one, Nikita Krylov versus Glover Tejera. That's an odd but understandable matchup to make. That one's going to turn out interesting as fuck. I'd bet every penny in my wallet right now. Another one that's kind of not for the same reason, but also definitely going to be very interesting to watch, David Branch versus Andrew Sanchez. Now, Branch at one point in time was pretty fucking high up there and is now tumbling like a fucking snowball down the rankings. Sanchez, on the other hand, is a ultimate fighter alumni who didn't win his season but showed some good promise and now is starting to catch his stride as it were in the UFC as a regular fighter and starting to get a little momentum behind him and it seems like they are giving him branch as a fucking platform so knock that son of a bitch out springboard your fucking name up towards that top 15 and get a number behind you for fuck's sake I think that's got a lot of potential to be interesting because branches at this point got to be getting fucking desperate clearly his game plans are not working in any of his fucking matches very well and the ufc throwing him to guys that are coming up from the ultimate fighter is generally an indication yo this is your last fucking trap track lap that thing words the last fight that they announced for that card though the one that i think everyone is going to want to watch the most 
Antonio Carlos Jr. versus Uriah Hall. Speaking of Ultimate Fighter alumni, Uriah fucking Hall is a dangerous man. And Carlos Jr. is coming up as a very interesting prospect with a lot of similar stylistic things that he does to Uriah Hall. That's going to be a fireworks show unto itself, I believe, as well. Next fight, I want to mention Misha Serkinov versus Jimmy Crute. This is another one of those situations where there is a gentleman in Serkinov who was up at the top at one point in time, looking like he may be able to start eyeing gold and has started to roll downhill a little bit now, whereas Jimmy Crute is the Australian sensation who, despite coming up a little short recently, still has a fuck ton of potential and hype behind him that is very warranted if you go watch that gentleman's highlight reels. So that is going to be, in my opinion, another one of those almost striker for striker, both with a grappling-esque background type of matchup where it's going to be old guard, new guard, who wants it more? And it's going to produce fireworks for folks to watch. Now, not fight mentioning, but fight congratulating in this sense here. Congratulations to last week's new champion, Rafael Lovato Jr., who beat Gegard Mousasi in a very close and very, very exciting match that I encourage, again, everyone to go watch the highlights from if you haven't yet, if you didn't see the fight. Amazing jujitsu on display, incredible striking, some serious fucking grappling, and just determination and heart of a championship level from both corners. Damn, was it a good match. Lovato Jr. left with the belt and new. Congratulations, sir. Hats off to you. And as Mama Woodley said, they're going to come for you now, baby. So you better be ready. Because they're going to, I promise you, they're going to start coming for you. You're the new champ. Everybody's going to want a piece now. I think Lovato Jr. might have a trick or two up his sleeve to hang on to that gold for a little bit. So props. Next thing I want to take just a moment to mention here, huge, huge international news. And now I'm not going to say that this is Francis Ngannou is doing single-handedly, but this, I believe, undeniably has a thanks to, to give to Francis Ngannou for spearheading this particular campaign. As of January 1st, 2020, <clears throat> excuse me, France will officially legalize MMA nationwide. So Francis Ngannou will be able to actually go to France and train like he wants to because that's where he's calling home these days. It's strange that it took till 2020 to get MMA legalized, but we got there, okay? Same thing happened with New York for a while, but... What I want to know is how long does it take for the UFC to go to France then? I'm anticipating groundbreaking for the UFC Performance Institute, uh, Paris, probably 2022. I, I bet you they're already working on it. They'll probably be groundbreaking the second that shit is legal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm I don't, what I want to know is first event. When are they going to have their first event there? I'm talking, I bet you it'll be in the first quarter of 2020. Yeah, 
the city of lights could probably hold a very very large event there are several several people on the roster that would i'm sure gladly step up and put on local they've got quite a few fucking french fighters in the bullpen which is kind of ironic considering it's a country who doesn't have it legalized where they get guys training how are they learning about this sport if it's illegal i agree i agree 100 percent. but i also think that with it becoming legal like you said you know the ufc is already going to be looking to put feet on the ground and find themselves a nice little place to build themselves a performance institute and help establish the newfound legalized sport of MMA in uh, the country of France. So keep an eye out because like, like TJ said, there are several Frenchmen on the roster that are all very, very established right now. And I'm sure they are far from the only ones that could be. Now, two more quick little fight announcements before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's particular episode. Um, Both of them coming on the August third card for the UFC the day after the uh, DJ and Eddie one FC card both of these two you are not going to want to miss Uh, the first one we are talking about here Vulcan Ozdemir versus Ayer Latifi Latifi has not been very active lately but anytime he is you have to watch that man because he is very explosive and he is very strong the same could be said of Vulcan though I think the difference might just be that Ostomir actually ironically enough has the better gas tank of the two so that could be an interesting matchup to see how that plays out as well Um, the second fight uh, he actually hinted towards it but wouldn't give specifics on Instagram about a week ago the official was announced during this week. Jim Miller is back in action against the one and only Clay Guida. Holy shit, fight fans. That is a pair of OG hardcore motherfuckers. They are going to let go at it. And that fight has fight of the night potential all fucking over it. Somebody going home with some money when that one is done. I'm willing to say right now. That being said, though, that will lead us directly into the meat and potatoes of this particular episode. The reason that we shoot this thing today, UFC Minneapolis in Ganu versus JDS. This Saturday night, holy shit, boys and girls. Now, one other thing before we really get into it, I want to say. Uh-oh, go ahead. Artem Loboff, thank you for a wonderful fucking job beating up Malinaji. That fucking clinch he got in the third round, just pop, pop, pop. He would do it. He could. He wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. And although I will say, as much as I was fucking not liking Malinaji, he did have a very, very good post-fight press conference. It was. Like, and he was very humble about it, and it was. So that big piece of humble pie, he ate that motherfucker without a fork. He just stuffed it in there. Oh yeah. Uh, and my hats off to him for that. As much of a cocksucker as he was leading up to it, hats off to you for doing the right thing at the end. That's right. And I, even the commentators on the the uh, 
the fight broadcast set or on the uh, the post fight press conference stream that I was watching rather you could hear them talking to each other while they were waiting for everyone to come out none of them in that little circle thought Malinaji was even going to show up to the post fight press conference let alone show up and be as humble as you could possibly see Pauli Malinaji being in that press conference giving all props and respect to Artem then turning around and talking shit about the judges and thinking that he actually won that fight and then being a dumbass and then giving back respect to Artem again. So absolutely fucking a Artem. He wasn't quite as floaty as I would have preferred to see him. He didn't quite put that Jason Knight esque beat down that I was hoping for, but he fucked that face of Malinaji's up and clearly Artem's hard ass head took Paulie's hands to fucking town. If you saw his post on Twitter after the fact, that gentleman has two hams with digits sticking off of him attached to the end of his fucking arms right now. At least one of them's broken, and the other one, very not happy. Yeah, neither one of those were fucking happy hands at all. Uh, I, to be honest, all those years boxing, never fucking doing anything without gloves on. It's a whole different sport, and I think he learned the hard way. However, yeah. I, I also will say there's one other good thing. He said he wishes him all the luck, and hopefully this is a huge springboard for him moving forward, and that was fucking awesome of him. Absolutely. Kind of an asshole there. And and a little ironic side note to that, at the end of the fight, when they brought the two in and announced it, who was standing in Artem's corner? None other than fucking Jason Knight himself, happy as a pig in shit that Artem just won that fight. And then when given a chance to talk himself, he announced that he is headlining the next. Jason Knight is headlining the next uh, bare knuckle event, uh, BF BKFC Seven. There we go. That in uh, I believe August. So Jason Knight is back in for a headline because you know damn well that motherfucker can bang. And said that if he wins his match, that maybe the next event, bare knuckle eight, could be Jason versus Artem the rematch for the belt in their division for an actual bare knuckle championship belt. I am a hundred fucking percent down for that because those two guys like each other. They're friends and they understand that this is how that works and have no problem going back to do that shit again. And God damn it, that first fight was not one of the best representations of bare knuckle fighting that I feel someone could ever watch. Oh yeah. Alright, I'm good. That was the only other thing I wanted to say. I had to get it out there. All good, all good. So, that'll jump us back in to UFC Fight Night Minneapolis in Ganu versus JDS. This one has a little spice sprinkled all the way through here. Again, just like most of the cards they have put forth so far this year, there's absolutely a little fluff and a little filler, but what they did give us here in pulling this fight from International Fight Week is a hell of a headliner, and a very nicely seasoned card throughout leading up to it. So the first thing I want to jump in, right at the very fucking tippity-top of the prelims, the first fight of the night, the opening fight of the event, Maurice Green versus Junior Albin. Now for the uninitiated, neither one of those names will mean a whole lot. So let me give you a little bit of insight here. Maurice Green just came off of one of the most terrifying Ultimate Fighter performances you could have possibly seen and has stumbled his way right into the full-time UFC despite not winning that show 
with a beautiful UFC resume so far and a whole lot of scary potential from a gigantic heavyweight. Now, across from him, you will have Junior Albini, who is literally Baby Huey reincarnate and the UFC's current resident heavyweight soup can. This, I anticipate, being a very good platform for Green to showcase his particular set of skills where his opponent will be essentially a walking test dummy. I don't understand why Junior Albini is still in the UFC other than the fact that he makes a spectacular soup can and will take several shots before he inevitably DTDs all the way over and Humpty Dumpty's down the wall. <sighs> Clearly, I am 100% in favor here. I think Green gets it done. I don't think this fight sees a second round. I think Albini is going to DTD right up on forward and Green is going to step off and tee his forehead right down in that baby Huey ass, face down, Batch Cohea position, looking at the mat. I'm 100% behind you on this one. Um, the only thing I would like to add to that, um, old junior baby Albini. But normally, I would say big old head, tiny little body. No, this is tiny little head, big old body. That tiny little head can't take many shots from uh, big boys. When your head's that small and your body's that big, shit ain't matching up. Something's wrong there. Yeah. I, why he's still here, I don't know. He looked promising when they first brought him in. And then just fucking train wreck city. So, sorry, um, this is uh, your episode of Derailed there, uh, Mr. Albini. Your train has officially left the station and it ain't coming back. I agree. He actually did have a whole lot of potential when he first came in. The problem in this particular situation was that faltered very quickly. Yeah, I. so my only thing is I want to know why he is still being put on cards. Like, like, like they're, like they're dropping people from losing one fight and having a great record and a great career. But I mean, this guy's getting run over and every single stop that he makes, but he's still fucking there. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, but for this fight, uh, green all day, I can most definitely say, I don't want to see this leave the first round, but I want to see something weird. I want to see like a fucking wicked ass submission. Because Green, he does have a good ground game. I want to see a wicked-ass submission come out of here. I can absolutely agree with that as well. Because, yeah, that's that's one of the lesser-known skill sets, I guess you would say, from Green. Because he quite literally is a six-foot-five monster and a power puncher at that. So he, he does actually have a very good ground game as well. So there's actually some possibility for submission. I see that. You know, when you said can't figure out why he's still on the roster, it made me think for a second. The heavyweight division lately has not been that deep. And it might be that they just need the extra bodies currently. Yeah, because it's definitely no 185, that's for sure. Yeah, you're not between, if you're between 155 and 185, those are all really fucking deep divisions heavyweight has not been that deep lately you look at the top top 
and let's go just top 10. Top 10 have all been sitting there for quite some time, all in or on that same category. They haven't really fucking shuffled too much. I mean, there's been some people that have been pretty solid that are stuck in there. And even people who you wouldn't think, um, a la Derek Lewis, yep. they've all been sitting up there just regularly. So I think is they they needed more fucking people down at the bottom to give people stepping stones. Well, and even all the way up to 205, if you look at light heavyweight, not only are they stacked as a division, have a whole bunch of young up-and-comers in there as well, but it's also in the last couple of weeks been announced that Luke Rockhold and Chris Weidman are both coming up to 205 now. Neither one of them are going to make the 185 cut anymore. So now you've got guys that were, you know, real splash makers at 185, legit both world fucking champion belt holders now coming up to 205 because they don't have to cut that fucking weight anymore and we've seen time after time now whether we like it or not when these guys stop cutting that fucking weight and go to a division that's more close to their natural weight the power transition that comes with it changes their whole fucking fight game when they've spent the majority of their career fighting at a lighter weight and they finally start to make that move up to where they are closer to their natural walking weight that power becomes dangerous. And if you look at both Rockhold and especially fucking Weidman at 185, the power was always a legitimate fucking problem. And you talk about both of those guys now coming up to 205, carrying potential extra power, that's going to shake that division up as well. But you got nothing like that coming from 205 going up to heavyweight other than Captain fucking Popeyes himself. I am a ner little nervous for the both of them stepping up to 205, though. I mean, Rockhold did get knocked out by Michael Bisping, so. I right. mean, Rockhold more than Weidman, in my opinion. Weidman, being a wrestler, the only thing I really worry about him coming up to 205 is some of the guys at 205 have great wrestling, and he's got, what, six surgeries, five surgeries on his fucking neck in the last decade now? Yep. That would make me a little nervous for him. Rockhold, on the other hand, did not have a great fucking chin at 185. Your chin doesn't generally increase that much in level when you go up a weight class. So she's going to definitely have to watch his ass against some of the haymakers that come flying at light heavyweight. That chin ain't going to hold up at 205. Those guys hit a lot fucking harder. Um, you think a, yeah. a lot of those 205ers, they're cutting a lot of weight to get down to fucking 205. Look I mean, at his fucking welcoming mate. He's going against Jan Blahovich for fuck's sake. Yeah. That son of a bitch makes 205. I don't understand because he's a gigantic Polak. I don't say it. And, you know, we'll see how it turns out for the both of them. And, and to be honest, I like what they're doing because it's a more natural thing instead of these ridiculous fucking weight cuts. Like, to be honest, I really wish that they would fucking do hydration tests on these fighters before fights. Just because uh, yep. it needs, it should be a requirement. Just like the all the doping tests they're doing, those right. should be requirements. Just because you know what, you can't in 24 hours without taking an IV, you cannot get yourself rehydrated. Yep, just doesn't work that way. I don't care how much fucking water, um, Pedialyte, whatever it is you're fucking drinking, you're not going to be fully rehydrated. And you're not going to be back to normal levels. Yep. One of the other uh, fight shows that I watched during the week was actually just talking about this the other day. Somebody got a hold 
of a conversation where he was very candid about it. And Max Holloway said that he walks around about 185, 190 pounds and cuts to 145. I don't care how good he looks at 145. That's not a healthy fucking weight cut for a man who's getting punched in the face for a living. I agree. I love that that both Rockhold and Weidman, two legitimate, well-known names, are taking initiative and making the move up because both of them said there's no reason to be cutting as much weight as they had to to make it to 185. They're cutting 20 less pounds now, and both of them are still cutting to 205. So I, I hope a lot more fighters follow that example and start cutting out the bullshit, man. It's just not fucking worth it. Not to mention they can eat a little bit. Exactly. You can have real food during training camp. And we might have, you might still have a rough week of weight cut, but it's not going to be a rough camp and then a week of weight cut. Right. It's not a rough eight weeks and then a really hard week. It's just a little hard for a week. That's much easier on your body. And speaking of gentlemen who can't seem to figure out what fucking weight class they're going to stay in. The next fight I want to talk about is another one on the prelim here. Eric Anders versus Vinicus Castro. Now, Vinicus Castro is another up-and-coming young gentleman. This is his second fight in the UFC. His He came from the uh, Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series when it was still the Tuesday Night Contender Series, not Dana White's Contender Series stupid shit but uh he came from a good performance on that show to make his ufc debut and unfortunately lost to alonzo menefeld who we'll talk about in just a moment because alonzo menefeld is opening the main card this evening ironic to put those two back to back isn't it but as much as i believe that castro does actually have a great potential future in the ufc and he has shown a lot of skills despite losing his last match to Minefeld, I think in this situation, Eric Anders has been a lost puppy for so fucking long, he actually looks like he's starting to put it together. Just a little bit. I'm not saying he's on a streak. I'm not saying he's back. What I'm saying is, a little bit looks like he's putting it together. And I think in this situation, against a guy who's coming off of a contender series fight, that clearly was not against a UFC caliber fighter yet. And then coming in to get his ass kicked in his debut, he's going to be hungry and he does have a legitimate skill set. But I think in this situation, Anders is going to have just that little bit extra. And I don't think it's going to be great. I don't think this is going to be a firework explosive first round knockout. I think this one goes to decision, but I think Anders has got enough of a fight IQ that he can outpoint this guy and he can take it via the judges. I think I'm going to have to disagree on this one. Purely on the fact that Anders has been Lima Lima Mike Foxtrot, a.k.a. lost like a motherfucker. He has not been able to find himself in any one division. He keeps bouncing around like a ping pong ball in a room full of mousetraps. He's not settled. I don't think this is, this is the way to get yourself settled. Somebody who's, that you're facing... Is a very strong skill set and looks like a fantastic prospect. He may have lost that last fight, but what he showed, there was flashes of greatness in there. 
so I don't think Anders takes the win on this one. I'm I'm with you 100%. I don't think this is going to be a knockdown, drag out brawl that's going to fucking end. It's going to end up going to decision. But I don't think Anders gets the win in this just because he is too lost. He hasn't been settled yet. He needs to find that place where he wants to settle, where he feels comfortable. Maybe if he does win, this will be that spot. But I don't think that's going to be it. I think he's going to bounce back to a different division again and end up going from there. I think Castro takes this one by decision. Yeah, I'm going to have to uh, see. Now, when I was when I was making notes on this, I was saying Anders, but I did a little bit more research and started actually watching some videos and performances of uh, Castro over here. Oh, that kid's fucking that dude's fucking good. So I will say the only way that Anders wins this, if it comes down to a decision and some way, somehow he can get something over, but every other way, fucking Castro is taking this away. If it goes to a decision, I don't think that he's going to have it in him because I just don't think he's, I don't think he's going to have it in him that the, the knowledge and the ability to get into that that late third round and still making some sort of progress, some sort of of fight coming to him, I just don't think he'd be able to do it. So Castro, I want I wanna say third round, middle of the third round, if he takes this. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. I, I would not in the least bit be mad if Castro takes this. I just think in this situation, especially coming off of making your debut and getting your ass kicked, and then knowing that the guy who kicked your ass fights immediately after you tonight on your next fucking fight, that's going to be a little bit of a head rattle for a new guy versus lost puppet that he has been. Anders does have more experience, a lot more experience than Castro does in this situation. I think that's just going to help him point-wise, not fight-wise against Castro, because Castro was a fucking beast. And the guy legitimately does have a great future in the UFC, I do believe. He stays on the path he is, keeps learning, keeps adapting. I think the kid's definitely got a future. But that being said, I think Anders has the stamina to take it three rounds and has the experience and the knowledge from being in the UFC a little longer to know how to outpoint the kid. And that's the only reason I think he takes that decision. But from there, that brings us into the main card here where the gentleman we were just talking about, Mr. Castro's UFC debut loss comes directly from the gentleman that's opening the main card up here. Alonzo Menefeld, who is taking on a quite literal mountain of a task in Paul the Scottish Bear Jew Craig. Holy shit. Craig is a terrifying young prospect. This man has a brogue so thick you could cut with a spoon. And despite that, is an ass-kicking machine. This man is fueled by the peat from the aisles, he's got it, man. I'm fucking telling you right now, Paul Craig is a serious problem for everyone in this division. 
and I understand that I was just singing Alonzo Menefield's praises just a moment ago for taking Castro's debut victory away from him and handing him his first L instead of his debut win. But that being said, I realistically do not see a lot of people in the entire division that stand a chance when Paul Craig starts to get a little momentum behind him because this man, I am telling you right now, is going to be the future of this division, barring any serious injuries or out-of-the-octagon shenanigans that the UK gentlemen have tend to have found themselves caught up in lately. I am calling this one first-round KO for Craig. Those hands are too fucking much. It's not the hands. It's the fucking beard, dude. Fear the beard. Not to mention, look, they call him the Bear Jew for a reason. Any of you who have not seen Inglorious Bastards, go watch. I'm telling you, you give that guy a baseball bat, bad things are going to happen. But he doesn't need it. He's got two of them right fucking there. That's a tall, tall task for Alonzo. That's a really fucking steep mountain to climb, especially when you don't have the gear. I'm not saying he doesn't have a skill set, but you're going to catch bombs, and it's going to be lights out because, you know what, every bit of that, I'm just going to say physics. Look at the physics behind that arm that is coming at your skull. Physics dictates you're going to sleep, period. I'm just going to say fear the bear, Jew, because if you don't, you're stupid. Okay, so my only thing is all I heard was hands. That fucking Craig is fucking... The, the 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 bearded bitch that he is is fucking unreal on the ground. Like all all of his UFC wins, ninety nine percent sure all, all of his UFC wins are by submission, second round or early thirds. So I'm going with Craig. Second round submission, just based off of. He has nine wins from fucking submission in the UFC. I could see that as well. Because, yeah, that's – and that's the thing. Not only does this man have great fucking striking and mailboxes for fists, his fucking ground game is scary. That man is big, and he is fucking strong, and he is agile. And if you think you're going to get away from him, you're sadly fucking mistaken. Because as soon as he touches you, his hands are made of fucking super glue. He's got you. And you're in trouble the second he puts fucking hands on you. So there's absolutely every possibility that he could sub this motherfucker out as well. So the I'm next one. For KO. I think I think it's going KO as well. But I would not be surprised by a submission. But from there, we will jump along to the next fight that I want to talk about here. The next fight coming right up, Drew Dober versus Marco Polo Reyes. Now, this is essentially a tall grappler versus a short, stocky striker with grappling. Reyes is eight and six. 
Artem had a better record than this gentleman in mixed martial arts. That should tell you something. That being said, Drew Dober, I don't feel has really reached his full potential just quite yet. But every time we see him in the octagon, he shows just a little bit more. And he improves a little bit more than the last time you saw him. And the kid is young and the kid is hungry. And if you keep stacking little improvements on little improvements and a kid this young and a kid this hungry, real soon, those little stack-ups start to mean he's getting to the same fucking level as some of the big boys. And when you throw an eight and six soup can at him, who's going to try and wrestle him while he's punching him in the face because he's got the defense to not let himself just get fucking wrapped up. I think this is going to be a real good night for Drew Dober and a real bad night for Marco. Ka-tunk! Polo. Second round. Over. I just want to elaborate on that a little bit because I'm right there behind you on that. There's no way that Marco Polo wins this. Nobody ever wins in Marco Polo. That's, it's never-ending. You just don't win. I'm sorry you got stuck with a bad name. Um, maybe you should try your hands at bare knuckle fighting. I mean, generally, I've noticed people who have mediocre at best records, they do fairly well over in the bare knuckle side of the house. Go over there. Artem's doing well. Maybe you can you can ride off of that hype train. But uh, the UFC is not the place for you. No. In fact, why, when we're... When we, were, we were just talking about this type of thing. You're in a fucking fairly stacked division, a really stacked division at 155. Why are you here with an 86 record? What makes you deserve to be here? Let alone on a main card, even if it is on ESPN. doesn't matter. You shouldn't even be on the fucking main card. You should be down in the fucking prelims. Drew Dober, on the other hand, he's earned that right. He's progressively gotten better, and people have seen it. Eight and six is not progressively getting better. You're almost 50-50. You're two losses shy of 50-50. Uh, well, let me take this back. You are one loss of being shy of 50-50 because you're going to lose on Saturday. Get that man the fuck out of here. Um, go get him to sign with Baron on fine. Maybe he can be on there. Um, eighth pay-per-view that they do um, probably in like October, November time frame. Get the fuck out of here. Not worth it. Um, next. So fitting off of that, uh, Reyes, go home. Do a little bit of do a little bit of soul searching and figure out what the fuck you're doing with your life. Because you're about to get fucking nailed come Saturday. Because not even not even based off of the facts that that Dober is getting better every single time he steps into a cage. It's just fucking he's all around more defined and, and getting better, much more well-rounded than what Reyes is. He can stop you on the ground. He can beat the fuck out of you standing up. He can take you to the ground and beat the fuck out of you there. He has every edge on you. You can do fucking nothing but run away like a fucking child. You can't do shit, man. Dober, 
all fucking day. I want to say middle of the second, Reyes, after this fight, go home, do a little soul searching, maybe jump in the hot tub, you know, a nice glass of wine or a beer, and just think about your life for a little bit, man. Or go out there, get a bottle of the proper 12, and then do some soul searching, because that's, that's much needed. There you go. So now, ironically enough, from that fight to the next fight, similar setup, very different outcome in my opinion here. This time we're going to be talking about another set of lightweights, Roosevelt Roberts versus Vince Pichel. Now this is again, a, a tall grappler versus a short striker. But this, I believe, is going to be the reversal, the yin to the yang of Drew Dober here. This is a situation where the short striker in Pichel isn't really that fucking hot. He's the soup can in this situation. The other side of the octagon, you have got tall, lanky Roosevelt Roberts, who is 8-0. This man is a scary wrap-up artist. He's going to get you. He's going to drag you down. He's going to slide around you like a wet blanket, and you're going to tap. Pinchel is... 11 and two. He's not a soup can overall, just since he's been in the UFC. That being said, both of his losses are to guys who could out fucking grapple him, who could get around his striking. That's exactly what Ro Roosevelt is here. And not only is he that, he is that on a very, very high level. This young man is coming in with a whirlwind of where the fuck did he? Oh shit, how did I? Ah! behind him and it's for a good fucking reason i think roosevelt takes this via submission early second round because i don't think he's going to quite get his hands on him in the first as good as he's going to want to to get that locked in but i know he's not going to wait till the end of the third one they're already fucking sweaty and he's got to work for it that hard so i think early in the second roosevelt takes this via sub I think this fight, you're pretty, I think you're pretty spot on with Colin Roosevelt on this. However, I don't know that it's going to be a submission because if you look at his win stats, they're about 50-50, where he's about 50% submission, 50% letting these hands do the fucking talking. Um, Chell's another one of those guys where he's, I'm not going to call him a soup can because he's got a decent record. Um, but on the other side of that, he's more of the stepping stone variety for that division. Um, again, both of these guys, that 155 pound division, we were just talking about that a second ago. This is a really stacked fucking division. If you want to do something, you have to make a lot of waves and do it in a dominant fashion. Roosevelt has been doing that. He's showing it. He's going to be, look, If I, I'm going to call this right now. If he makes a huge splash on this, either it's going to have to be a finish and it's going to have to be in a spectacular form, either knockout or some sort of spectacular fucking, oh my God, where did that submission come from? If that happens, he's going he's gonna to pop up into the ranked numbers. It might not be in the top 10, but he'll be in the top 15, guaranteed. He's on that sort of fucking run right now. So I could definitely see that happening. However, if he does stand and bang, there is a chance that old Vince there could fucking 
could put some hands on him because I mean he does have some fucking bombs in his arsenal there, but we'll see. But I'm gonna go ahead and say Roosevelt here on this one. But I think he's gonna get it done with hands, though. I really do. Considering he's he's a fantastic grappler at 155, I think his hands are gonna do the trick. So I'm not going to call the way of, of finish because as TJ said, he is super fucking close. It's, it's 50. Fuck both of y'all. There we go. Fuck both of y'all. Fuck you both. So... <laughs> You, you guys fucking suck. Um, as, as TJ said, is it still doing it? Fuck you. If you want to do a write-in ballot... Is, uh, <laughs> fucking up still? Is it still fucking up? Why is my so shit tonight? You might have Roberts. to do a write-in ballot on this one. I'm Roberts. Just like, for a change. Fuck it. I don't know why my internet's so shit tonight. Roberts. Put it that way. Second round. Fuck y'all. <laughs> well, we got that part of it. Right, we got that in at least. I don't know why my internet's so shitty tonight. I don't know. Maybe you need a bottle of proper twelve and to go do some soul searching. <laughs> <laughs> and he froze oh. doing. <laughs> Damn it! Uh, I'm just happy for once it's not me having the fuck ups. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. From there, that will bring us on to the next fight that we're going to talk about this evening. <sighs> I'm. This is one of those fights that I'm both excited for and almost nervous of. I'm talking about Damian Maya versus Anthony Rocco Martin. Damian Maya has done just about everything possible to try to reinvent his career despite being arguably one of the baddest brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners on the fucking planet for whatever reason he just has not been able lately to put it all together his jiu-jitsu was always on point but for whatever reason either his grappling hasn't been as good as it needed to be or his striking has not been as good as it needed to be and his fucking defense has definitely not been as good as it needs to be lately because he has eaten so many fucking big shots in his last couple fights and I hate to see a fucking jujitsu legend like Damian Maya get fucking worked like a part-time job and he has been more often than not lately and I feel like this is another one of those the gentleman hit what appears to have turned out to be the peak of his career and he's starting on that snowball slide down and you got a relative nobody in Martin that's coming up he's not 
technically a soup can, even though he's pretty fucking soupy. He's not great. He's not, you know, a big shining star. He's not a rising prospect. He doesn't have any big, you know, standout qualities about him. He's an overall decent guy, decent fighter, decent striking, decent grappling. But on paper, this matchup doesn't make any fucking sense. This is one of those where it seems like they're starting to lead that old horse out to pasture and they're just giving him a carrot to keep him walking. And they're trying to get him behind the shed so they can put one in the back of his fucking neck. And I hate to say that about a guy like Damian Meyer because he has been one of my fucking favorite, not just fighters, but overall martial artists for years now. But it's getting to the point where you hate to see it and you want to see a guy go out while he's still got something to offer. And Damian Maya just doesn't really seem to have any intention of taking his foot off the fucking gas. He's going to ride this bitch till he throws a rod and the fucking wheels fall off. And I don't want to see it go down that way, but I also don't think Damian Maya is the kind of guy that says, I can't do this anymore like Chael Sonnen did. I think in this situation, this is going to be one of those close calls. It's almost too close to, to predict, in my opinion. It really, for me, is going to come down to is there any fire left in Damian Maya's tank? Because Rocco doesn't have anything to lose here. If he loses, he loses to Damian fucking Maya. If he wins, he'd beat Damian Maya. Even in a decision, he'd beat Damian Maya. On the other side of that, if Damian Maya loses to a fucking nobody like Martin, to a fucking you know stepping stone like Martin here, what's fucking left? Elias Theodoro got caught after a single fucking loss. And Maya is just steamrolling the shit train down the tracks right now. It hurts me to say that, but God damn it, dude. How many fucking times do you got to get your ass kicked before you realize that maybe the time has come to go back and open a gym? I think in this situation, the desperation is going to be enough to point it out. But I don't see any of the old Damian Maya left in the guy that we watch walk into the octagon this weekend. I think Maya's going to get it on a decision basis going to the end. I don't think he's going to be able to get Martin out of there. And I don't think Martin has what it takes to put Maya away. I think this is going to be very similar to the other situation we talked about where points are going to do the carrying, but neither one of these gentlemen really have what it takes to finish. It sucks, but I think this one goes to the judges. Well, let me start here. Um, Rocco's not, I wouldn't call him quite soupy at this point. He's more like a gelatin. There's potential there to stiffen up. But he's not going to be a walk in the park for Maya. Maya, where to begin here? Where to begin? To be honest, I think his swan song was fucking about a year and a half, two years ago when he was making that push for the title run again. And that, that was, I think that was that last hurrah. And he's been starting to get worked left and right. And it's not that his jiu-jitsu game isn't strong. It's not that his grappling isn't strong. It's just people have figured him out because he's doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. He's literally lately the definition of insanity. Um, with that being said, him trying to reinvent himself or trying to use his hands, the dude has never had fucking hands, period. He's just not a hands player. He's a, I'll jab my way into a clinch kind of guy. 
then work a takedown and ferociously work one until I can get you in a spot where I can submit you. And he was fantastic at that. However, a lot of people have picked that out on him and figured out ways to beat him. And all you have to do is go back and watch the tapes and you see how that happens. To be honest, I don't think Damian Maya wins this fight. That's a sad thing to say because he's a legend. He, he's written a book on how to be a one-style fighter and do well. I can't, I can't call him a true mixed martial artist. I love Damian Maya and everything he's done in the sport, but he's never really truly been a mixed martial artist. He's been a jiu-jitsu practitioner that should have been fighting in the first couple of UFCs when people only had one style. He would have been a god among men. He would have given Hoyce a run for his money there. In fact, uh, that would have been a fantastic fight if they were both in their prime, but um, nonetheless, or just a fantastic grappling match, period. But um, he's never been a fully well-rounded fighter. He's just been so fucking good through his career of figuring out how to get people to submit. He, he figures out how to open Pandora's box and close that motherfucker. However, lately, he's opening Pandora's box. He just can't figure out how to get it closed. That's why he's taking all these fights. I don't think it's necessarily that the UFC is leading him out the pasture, per se. I think it's that he's leading himself to pasture because he's not knowing that it's time to lay him down. Maybe it's because he had fights left on his contract. And if that's the case, and you're going out on your shield, my hat's off to you. But at the same time, be smart enough to know when to put that shield down. Say, you know what? I'm fucking done. I don't want to walk away with brain damage. I don't want to be punch drunk. I want to still continue to go... Maybe you're going to go do fucking just straight no-gi or gi fucking jiu-jitsu tournaments. Please, by all means, I will watch those. But, dude, don't, don't ruin yourself for this sport. It's not worth it. Now, don't get me wrong. He could come in here and surprise the ever-living fuck out of me and look like the Damian Maya of old. But my question with that is, is how long does that actually fucking last? Is it going to be a, oh my God, there's a flash of brilliance and then his next fucking three fights, he just gets obliterated? To be honest, I love Damian Maya. I would love to see him win. However, I don't want him to win. I want the UFC to have a good reason to cut him. However, caveat to that, they're not going to cut him because he's Damian fucking Maya. He's going to end up being the gatekeeper. Until he decides he's ready to hang them up. I think that's where this is headed. To be quite honest, I think that's the reason why Rocco has this fight. Damian Maia is the gatekeeper right now. He's, I don't foresee him making a run at the title again. Not one time. There's no fucking way. Especially not at the 170-pound division. There's no fucking way, dude. My hat's off to you, Damian, for a fantastic career. But please call it after this fight. Win, lose, or draw. It doesn't matter. Lay those fucking gloves down. Or maybe, you know what? Take one more fight in Brazil, your home country. Hang them up there. Because you know what? If you're going to go out, 
go out your way, I get it. Do it in your home country, I get that too. But just know that it, it's got to be close to hanging him up. Because what is he? He's thirty-eight or thirty-nine years old or something like that now. He's fucking. He's fucking up. Oh, he's forty-one. Excuse me. See, there I am giving him the benefit of the doubt again, even with his fucking age. But I, to be honest, I think Rocco wins this fight. I really do. And it's not that I want him to win. To be honest, I get two fucks about Rocco. But I I want it to be something that sits in Damien's head that goes, you know what? Maybe it is time. Maybe I should do the thing before I get out of control where I end up fucking looking like King Mo or other fucking fighters where you can't do just normal everyday tasks. Oh. I'm going to call Rocco on this one. I don't think he will finish Maya because Maya's not easy to finish. And Rocco's not up to, he's not up to snuff when it comes to um, somebody that, that's that season. Don't get me wrong, he's got a puncher's chance of finishing him, but I doubt it's going to happen. But I think it's going to be Rocco via decision. Am I not a robot? All right. Keeping it short, sweet, to the point. Maya to see-through. The only way he wins this is on a decision. Rocco is half decent. He's got okay hands, okay on the ground. If if he, if his camp, watch the tapes. Watch one tape of Maya. You've watched them all. Maya's just too see-through. If they've if 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 they've put enough into watching watching how he moves watching how he does everything watching how he translate every single movement Rocco's got this other than that Maya to a decision but I really want to see Rocco win this I can definitely see that possibility and, and like TJ was saying there's always EBI and quintet and you know there's fucking half a dozen other competitions that are, are no gi there's the whole sub grab uh, sub underground grappling there's flow grappling now there's you know a half a dozen different organizations that put on submission matches that aren't mma that are just jiu-jitsu that damian maya could easily go and and tour the world and still make a very bona fide living and you know keep his legacy alive with unfortunately I don't think that road continues in the UFC much longer one way or another. Puppy dreams. That's what Damien Maya still got, apparently. But uh, from that, that leads us into one of our stranger co-main events that we've had, at least in 2019 so far. Um, it's, it's an odd pairing. Juicier Formiga versus... Joseph Benavidez. Now, this matchup makes me scratch my head for a couple of reasons. Formiga, I think realistically, because I still don't believe that Henry beat DJ at all. There's no fucking way. As far as I'm concerned, DJ should still be the champ in the UFC. But I think Formiga is the only other little guy who could legitimately give 125 a serious problem i think he realistically could be the face of the 120 pound 125 pound division for the men 
Now, on the other side of that, the only thing that Joseph Benavidez is really good for in the UFC in 2019 is reminding us that Megan O'Leary is doing all the UFC interviews. His fights ain't worth a shit. His press ain't worth a shit. His training videos ain't worth a shit. I don't understand how the fuck he talked himself into a number one contender series fight because Juicy A4 Mega is the number one contender at 125. Has been for a hot fucking minute now. How Benavidez managed to get himself this fight, period, befuddles and confuses the ever-living fuck out of me. That being said, I don't think he has the balls or the skills to take the pressure and the punishment that Formiga is going to put on him early, often, and aggressively. I think Formiga gets him in a submission via knockdown late second. Huh. Well, I don't know why you're right on how the fuck did Benavidez get himself talked into this. To be honest, I think he just has a really fucking fantastic agent. That's probably what happened. Formiga, I don't know why he's taking this fight. Look, I get it. Um, called Shitbag McGee fucking not going to be putting that title up on the line anytime soon because he's going to have surgery. But um, when he does come back, he's going to get a hell of a fucking welcome wagon from Formiga because I... It, it blows my mind that he, he got to jump line over Formiga to get that title shot in the first place. There's no way he should have gotten that shot. But either way, and he didn't win it. I, I'm calling it. He didn't win that fucking fight. They were just trying to get rid of DJ. And I'm pretty sure that's because the toxic trades were already in the fucking works. But Benavides, he's been a long staple in the 125. He's been there a long fucking time. He's challenged for the title a couple of times, lost but he's never been able to t stand up to the tall tasks when it really fucking matters. Hormiga wins this. I think you're probably right. It's probably going to end up being a submission late second. I might even say middle of the third. But, and the only reason I would say middle of the third is because they're both 125ers and they both have fucking massive gas tanks. So holding Benavides down, that's a challenge for anybody. So it very well could go that route, but I could also see this fight going to decision as well, just purely on their gas tanks. However, um, Formiga, if it goes to decision, you're going to know Formiga on, period. Um, the, the only thing I can say is the only way Joseph Benavides gets this is if he gets a fucking, he hits the button just right. He, he's got a puncher's chance in this fight, and that's about all I'm giving him. Yeah, like TJ said, he's got a fucking puncher's chance. Uh, this, I'm calling it on a decision for Formiga. The guy's fucking mean. He's quick as fuck. Both of these guys 
have a ridiculous, ridiculous gas tank. But Formiga can take the worst beatings you'll ever see in your life, but just keep walking through them. But he just has a problem of being able to put them away. The only way he can put them away dominantly is taking a motherfucker to the ground. That's pretty much it. A lot of his wins are down to a decision. But then again, so are a lot of Benavidez ones. But based on 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 how aggressive and the fighting styles, I want to say Formiga either very late third or down to a decision. I could see that. I could see just not based on his ability, but as on his ability to ride the bike, I can definitely see Benavidez dragging this to a decision as well. But I, I agree with you completely. I think if it does go to decision, I think it's a UD for, for Formiga as well. Now, with that being said, that's going to bring us on to the meat and potatoes of the meat and potatoes of our meat and potatoes segment in the episode here. The main event of the evening I'm never happy to see a big fight pulled from a big card because holy shit, the International Fight Week cards start out fucking stacked. But if you're going to pull one of those fights off that card to headline this one, I'm glad it's the one we got here. What we're talking about is the reason for this particular episode, the headliner, the big name of UFC Minneapolis, Francis Ngannou, versus Junior Dos Santos. Whew, holy shit, this one has got all kinds of potential on it. Now, if you have not been watching the re-emergence of Francis Ngannou since the ass-whooping of the century that Stipe gave him, you're truly doing yourself a disservice, in my opinion, as an MMA fan. He is absolutely taking advantage of everything that he learned in the severe ass whipping that he took from Stipe Miocic. He is working on his ground game. He is working on his defense. He is working on his speed and his agility and not being the one trick pony that just comes at you and tries to throw that uppercut to separate your body from your fucking soul, which he still also always has in his fucking back pocket. Now on the other side of that coin, You've got arguably one of the greatest UFC heavyweights to ever step foot in the octagon, undeniably. This man has been in the wars of wars in the UFC's heavyweight division. The caveat to that is those wars were a decade ago, and he is not the young Sagano that we all came to know and love in the battles against Kane everywhere across the fucking world that literally shook stadium foundations. He is, I will say, doing very well since his comeback. He and Kane almost came back about the same time. He is doing fairly well in his comeback. The difference is the guys he's fighting in his comeback are nowhere near the level of the guys like Kane that he was fighting when he first stepped out for a little bit. And Francis Ngannou, I think, in this situation, perfectly represents that new generation, the generation that came up, being able to look through all the styles of all the old legends that used to make the sport 
like Junior did. Junior used to be that guy. He could punch you in the face. He could take you to the ground, and he could submit you. He could do whatever. But that was 12 years and a lot of big wars ago, whereas Francis is a new up-and-comer, has only been doing mixed martial arts for less than a decade total, has terrifying power, very, very scary accuracy with it, and since his fight with Stipe, has started to become a much, much, much more overall well-rounded fighter. And that's a scary prospect for a man that has to cut to make 265. This is not going to be an easy matchup for either one of these gentlemen. Ngannou is far from a stepping stone for JDS. And JDS is not in any stretch of the imagination a soup can for Ngannou to get back up towards the top. Realistically, this fight is going to determine who makes the climb. If JDS can take out Ngannou similar to or better than Stipe did, JDS is realistically climbing back up to, to go for the next title shot after Stipe DC's rematch, and it's, it's going to be hard to argue against it. On the other side of that coin, if Francis can put away JDS as quickly and as efficiently as he put away Kane, there's not any argument to be made that Stipe versus Francis, because I think Stipe takes his fucking belt back, that Stipe versus Francis becomes the next match to make, barring any ridiculous Popeye-isms. I think in this situation, though, we are looking at a JDS who understands the situation that he's in and understands that he wants this. He's going to have to dig for it. He's going to have to work for it, and he's going to have to bring every fucking thing he has to this match Saturday night because Francis Ngannou, much like earlier fights that we talked about, doesn't have anything to lose in this situation. If he loses, it just makes it look like Kane was never quite as good as JDS and he only lost because it's fucking JDS. But on the other side of that, if he beats JDS, he's taken out two of the gentlemen who made the heavyweight division, one of the most exciting divisions in mixed martial arts. And it's real hard to deny that he's the next man for another shot at the title and such a ridiculously young MMA career. I think for my money, we see a Francis Ngannou win this weekend. And I don't think it's going to be quite Kane fast, but I think JDS is going to come in and it's just not going to be as fast, and it's not going to be as easy as he thought it was going to be back in the day. And I think he slips up, and I think Francis catches him, and I think the end of the first, maybe early in the second if it doesn't get there, but I think end of the first round, Francis catches JDS, and I think he puts him face down on the fucking Kansas, and I think Francis goes on to put himself back in title shot position after Saturday night. Okay, this one I'm going to have to respectfully disagree with you on this. You made a fantastic amount of wonderful points about both of them. Encano, JDS, both of them are well within their rights. Fan-fucking-tastic. Um, look, Engano has gotten better since his loss to fucking Milchich, however... You can't say 
that since that loss, he's become a a well-rounded fighter. His ground game was fucking crap. Garbage. That fight with Miocic was, what, two years ago now? There's no way in two years that that man has gotten anywhere near the level of ground game that JDS has. No way in fucking hell. And you, you can't even come close to that. With that being said, he's definitely gotten better. I will give Ngano that. He, you can tell he's become more well-rounded with those types of things. However, I think this is where you and I are going to differ a lot on this. JDS has looked fantastic since he's come back. And he's put away Tai Tuivasa uh, and some other fucking notables there. However, he looks right now like the JDS of old. He looks like he has that fire back in him. I think this is going to be the difference maker in this fight. Is can JDS put Ngano on his back? Because if he does, JDS wins this fight. Because Ngano, it doesn't matter how you give that kid fucking set six more years to get a ground game. He's still not going to be at JDS level. JDS has had a fantastic ground game since fucking he's come into the UFC. Back during those wars with Velasquez and fucking every other heavyweight that he fought during that run, his ground game was fantastic then. It's still fantastic. There's no way Ngano's ground game is anywhere near that. I can't call Ngano a fantastically well-rounded fighter yet. He needs more time with that ground game because his ground game was absolute fucking trash when he fought Miocic. It wasn't even a matter. He laid there like a dead fucking slug that got ran over by a fucking goddamn postal truck and then had salt dumped on it. There's no way in the time since that loss that his ground game has gotten any better. I, his, his takedown defense might have gotten a smidge better but I still think what's going to make the difference in this is JDS is going to take him to the ground and he's going to ground and pound him out until he gives up a submission. JDS is going to win by submission. Probably, I'm going to say third, mid third, late third round, he's going to end up getting a submission set up by some ground and pound because Ngannou can't get off his fucking back because his ground game's not there. Oh, on the other side of this coin, though, if he gets caught coming in for that takedown, though, JDS is going to fucking sleep. But that dude has some of the scariest fucking knockout power in all of the heavyweight division. Some of the scariest. Oh, to my opinion, whoever wins this fight, Aiden Ganu, or JDS, they immediately deserve that next fucking shot at the title. Period. Like, second you're fucking healed up, Miochips, you're fighting either JDS or you're fighting Ngano. But for my money on this one, call it JDS. It's going to be late third, maybe early fourth. 
submission via takedown ground upon leading to it. Yeah, so no matter who wins, it's going to be a steep A versus blank two. Uh, so just just whoever wins this is going to come down to that. Now, something that I was thinking about earlier today, you know, these guys are supposed to fight right after JDS fought steep A back in 2017. It was supposed to be the very first fight. I wish that this was an Nganu JDS part two to see how well Nganu has progressed over the years versus the same fighter. That's just something I've been thinking about all day. But Nganu, fucking great on his feet. That's about all he's got. He's amazing on his feet. He has some fucking ridiculous ass hands nobody can deny him that he has some ridiculous knockout power and those hands whenever whenever they they they, they hit somebody you're 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 fucking hurting but fucking jds the he's he's too well-rounded versus a i can't say young francis and gano but he's he's not there yet. He's not well-rounded enough. He's still trying to piece together what he's doing in certain aspects. I'm going I'm going JDS on this strictly because his he has amazing amazing skills on the ground and on his feet. He's very well-rounded. And he, and he's one of those people that will go out on his shield. You have to kill the motherfucker because he's not, he's just not fucking stopping. JDS, I'm calling mid to late third. It's it's definitely going to be an interesting one. I definitely agree that that overall JDS has the more complete tool set. He is the overall more well-rounded fighter. I just think that. This is one of those situations where he says he's ready. He, he might look like he's ready, but the mileage that that motherfucker is bringing with him and the damage from the fucking wars that he has been in, I just, I can't see him having enough of what it's going to take to have to hold him down because you're going to have to hold Nganu down to beat him. If he gets up, you're in fucking trouble at any point in that fight. And I know that JDS has been known to be able to hold big dudes like that down, but that goes back to, that was 10 years ago. We haven't seen him put up a Cain Velasquez style war, holding a gigantic strong motherfucker down like that since back in the Cain days. Now I'm not saying Tui Vasa was any walk in the fucking park. Cause I love that motherfucker and he hits like a freight train, but he's also not known for his fucking ground game either. So he's historically been fairly easy to hold down. I think I'll, I'll say it this way. I don't think JDS should retire not by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think he's at that point. I think he definitely has a lot of fucking miles on him. I think he's definitely got some fucking warrior damage taken. 
I don't think he's ready for the retirement gate just yet. What I think in JDS situation is that he needs to go to a different organization. I think he needs to go to a Bellator, to a 1FC, to something like that, where he's not going to have the quite the same level of guys. He can go back to being the big fish in the smaller pond because as much of a bad motherfucker as he has been, as much of a fucking example as he has set for how heavyweights are supposed to fucking do it. That was a long time ago when he set those examples. It's Time is the enemy of us all and nobody can beat it. He's not done yet, but I just don't think he's UFC heavyweight champion caliber anymore. I could be wrong. We'll find out Saturday for sure. But I think I think Francis is on a fucking tear coming back. Ever since that Stipe ass whooping and the Lewis embarrassment, I think we have seen leaps and bounds in Francis's game improving. And I think he's on a path to start going back up, man, real hard, real quick. Yeah. There's one other thing I forgot to mention. Everybody forgets. JDS is very well known for his fucking hands, too. He's a fantastic fucking boxer. Look, he might not have a reach advantage in this fight. But he's definitely laying hands on him. Like I said, I don't think it's going to be a problem for him to hold Ngano down. Ngano's ground game is fucking garbage for what it should be at the level that he fights at. There's a reason why it was so easy for Stipe to hold him down. And look, that was was that fight two years ago, right? Approximately. Guess what? Your ground game can't get that much better in two years unless you're strictly focusing on ground game and nothing else. When you're an MMA fighter, you don't have that luxury. So it can't have improved that much. So mileage or not... I think that's going to come down to does he get Francis Ngano on the mat? If he gets him on the mat, he'll fucking keep him there. Yeah. Whether it's uh, 10 years ago or not, he'll hold the motherfucker down. He's been down that path before. Guess what? When you're fighting that seasoned of a fighter, even if there's that much mileage, when they get somebody to the ground, they know how to hold them there. You don't forget that shit. It's been trained and trained and ingrained and ingrained. However, it very well could go that other way. But as far as him not belonging in the UFC, I don't think about that. No. I have to disagree with you on that wholeheartedly. He might have the mileage, but he's still putting up some phenomenal fucking work against some very tough opponents. Well, no, and that's that's exactly what I mean, is that he's still putting in decent work, but the caliber of heavyweights in the UFC right now and the up-and-comers, I just – if he can't get around in Ganu Saturday night, I don't think he's going to be able to get back to the top of the stack. And with him not being at a retirement point yet, I would like to see Junior with a belt around his fucking waist before he hangs him up. And I think he could realistically do it. I just don't know if he can do it in the UFC with the fucking killers and the marauders that are running at the top and coming toward now. Well, I, I can see that part of it, but maybe maybe that's the case if he if he fails to take out Ngano on Saturday night, but we'll see which direction it goes. The thing, I, I, I have nothing but good things to say about Ngano. Right. I just can't see him managing to get past what in my eyes looks like a much better JDS right now than a much better Ngano. Well, but at the same time, 
one of the main things, and I'm not going to say it's the reason, but it's definitely a very influential and a heavy factor in, in helping me think of this perspective is look at who the only real close rival to JDS throughout his career has been, and that's Kane fucking Velasquez. And while Francis might not have gotten himself into the same caliber of wrestling and grappling status as a Kane or a JDS in the last two years. Look what happened when Kane went for the shot on Francis. He didn't go for a defense. He put him the fuck out. He's gotten to a point where he can and has take a great wrestling shot from a big dude, the caliber of a Kane or a JDS and catch him with that fucking short shot. And we've already seen that short shots enough. If he lands it. Oh, I'm not disagreeing with that. However, if we're looking at it like that, that's kind of like doing the MMA math thing. Unfortunately, MMA math we know doesn't fucking work, so I quit doing that. At least I try to. <laughs> Don't get me wrong; it still pops into my head once in a while, but MMA math we know doesn't fucking work because it just—it's different from my spine. And to be honest, if he would have missed that fucking short shot, he would ended up stuck on his back. Absolutely, because oh, he was coming I mean, don't get me wrong, he's very accurate with what he's doing. But being as he has a guy who's known more for his boxing than his actual wrestling, he's going to have to worry about the boxing, too. Because you know what? He might set up the takedown with somebody who's boxing or Kane. He's always been known as a wrestler. Right. Um, this is a little bit of a different stylistic matchup than what he had against Kane. Uh, I think that's where I'm having... I have more of a teeter-totter saying, yeah, pretty sure JDS can get him down because he'll set him up with the hands first. He might not be out there trying to throw bombs like Ngannou throws, but, I mean, it's hard for anybody to throw a bomb like that. Yeah, period. Uh, dude, that dude blows, looks at you funny, and you're going to fall over. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, and, I, and I definitely do agree with you that, that JDS is definitely definitely more of a striker with a grappling ability, and he definitely does tend to set his take-ups takedowns up with his striking much more than Kane did as well. So that's, I absolutely agree that there is a very, very big possibility that JDS can catch him with a fucking one-two and then put him on his ass for the whole round. That's that's what I think is going to end up happening too because Ngannou sees just straight takedowns coming every time. That's why you see him popping those little short fucking semi-uppercut, small little fucking shooting from the hip type shots. But it's hard to do when your fucking hands are up here because you're trying to stop a one-two. Or if even if they're at your fucking belly because he's going to the body on you, you know? And so I don't think that he's going to catch him because I'm pretty sure JDS has probably watched that tape off with him and Kane on more than one occasion going, don't be stupid. Don't yeah. just shoot the takedown because you will die. Yeah, I'm sure he has. There's, that's one thing that they've always been known for is JDS does his fucking homework. Even in the, the rematches against fucking Kane, you didn't see the same JDS and you did, as you did in the original matchup. So we know for a fact that he is one of those guys that he will go to the tape and he will watch that shit religiously and adjust accordingly. So there's absolutely a possibility that he might have made some changes in his game watching what happened to Kane as well. Oh. It'll be interesting to say the least. I mean, I can see it going on either way, but I got to pull for JDS on this one. And I think part of that too is, I'm not going to lie, I want to go back to the glory heydays of fucking the heavyweight division 
where people banged and fucking Fuck. there, even when there was fucking wrestling, it was they were fucking banging the whole goddamn time. I miss that shit. Now those guys just don't do it the same. And don't get me wrong, it's still exciting to watch, but it's not like it was like fucking ten years ago. Back when I was living in California, that was the heydays of fucking MMA's heavyweight division. You even had dumb fucks like Brock Lesnar in there getting their ass beat by Cain Velasquez, which was fantastic to watch. The Shane Carwins, those types of fucking fighters where you know somebody was going to fucking sleep. There wasn't very many, there was very few submissions in heavyweight at that time. Very fucking few. In fact, one of the shittiest heavyweights of all time, who just so happened to have a belt at the time, managed to get a fucking head and arm choke on fucking Shane Carwin when the ref probably should have stopped the fight earlier and gave Carwin the belt, but gave the guy the puncher's chance and won't be a told. But by the way, I'm saying, I look at that shit. Don't get me wrong. These guys have gotten better. They've gotten much better. Every one of them. They're also, I think they're fighting smarter than what they used to, too, because they're not just going balls to the walls with it. But, you know, maybe that's because I'm wanting to live in the past a little too much. Maybe I should be looking towards the future, but I just can't see that um, that future is in Ghana right now. Either oh, way. He will be at one point. Yeah, no, we, we will find out Saturday night for sure whether he has finally put enough together to get there or whether he's still got a little bit more to do at the drawing board. But I, I agree. I agree completely. Eventually, Ngannou is going to be top of the fucking stack. And when he gets there, everybody's going to have a serious fucking problem peeling that gold from around that giant motherfucker's waist. I'm telling you that right fucking now. That dude, on the trajectory that he's got in the few years that he's been doing MMA, give him a couple more with experience fuck out of here that dude's gonna be a big problem for everyone wanting to touch gold at heavyweight for a while but that is all we've got for this evening that is all we've got for tonight's episode so i want to thank everyone for tuning in and first and foremost i want to thank the two gentlemen who took the time out of their lives to come here talk some shit take part in the shenanigans and give their crazy ass opinion against mine for the fine folks to tune in and watch and watch on replay and hopefully enjoy. So first and foremost, if somebody has decided that they are going to cut into this fucking Ohio market and they need to know where they can find you to set this shit up, RJ, how is somebody going to be able to talk to you once the show's done? Well, if somebody wants to do that, they can get a hold of me on Instagram at RJ underscore underscore vapes. And uh, very shortly, that's kind of why I've been quiet all day, is the, is the YouTubes. You can catch me on there as well. I've been trying to do some things on there. Uh, but yeah, good to be back. And uh, sorry for my, my, my uh, robotic uh, self over here today. Don't know what's going on with my internet. That's all right. Happens to the best of us once in a while. It's just your turn to be the Mr. Roboto for the evening. So that being said, if somebody thinks that they have a better outlook on Green Bay's future than you do, how are they going to be told that they're absolutely wrong, TJ? Well, they can get a hold of me a couple ways. Um, one is by calling 1-800-GO-FUCK-YOURSELF. 
Um, also, you can find me on YouTube on Wednesday nights, 9.30 Central Time. Insta Grizzles, uh, hit me up at golfdvapes at gmail.com. Or the hell you feel like getting a hold of me. Oh, yeah, any of them. Um, and I would like to say that my name is RJ. I am a robot. So fucking fantastic. I love when that shit happens and was quite thoroughly impressed that it was not you, Meter. I'm quite impressed, so. Look, I guarantee, I guarantee it's the dude that has the, that, that comes in because they're repaving a road out behind here. And for the last like three days, fuck you. For the last like three days, whenever they get out there, like it, the, everybody's internet just goes to shit. Because it's just a full fucking way, man. It's okay. They can't see me here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, glitching aside, thank you both for being here with me this evening. Regardless, I do appreciate both of you taking the time out to join me here. Remember, folks. If at some point throughout these shenanigans, we have made you chuckle a little bit, maybe given you a perspective you hadn't thought about before, maybe pointed out something to you that you didn't even know yet, give us a thumbs up, maybe subscribe, hell, share an episode with somebody you know. We're trying to grow this damn thing. But on the other side of that coin, if we just sounded like a couple of dipshits rambling on in front of our fucking webcams, you're exactly right with your opinion here. Give us a thumb down. I won't dispute it in the least bit. But that's all we've got for this evening. Thank you once again for tuning in to the latest episode of the I'm No Joe podcast. These boys and I are going to take the geese and get the flock out of here. Have a good one, everybody. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with expert timing. There were funky China men from funky Chinatown. They were chopping them up. They were chopping them down. It's an ancient Chinese art. And everybody knew their part. From a fainting to a slip. And a kicking from the hip. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning.